This is Steve Goodrich, known on the trail as Bird Shooter, and this is N2 Backpacking, a podcast for both hikers and backpackers. Hey, Bird Shooter here. This is episode number 20 at N2 Backpacking, and tonight on the show we're going to speak with 30-pack once again, who is hot off his 2,600-mile hike on the Pacific Crest Trail. You might recall 30-pack from episode number 13 in N2 Backpacking, one of the most popular interviews to date. But 30-pack is back again to tell us about his thru-hike this past summer on the PCT, offer up how it compares to his 2012 thru-hike along the Appalachian Trail, and share with us some of the highlights from his six-month journey along the western mountains of the U.S., walking from Mexico to Canada. That said, here's 30-pack. All right, this is Bird Shooter here. We are back with 30-pack, hot off the Pacific Crest Trail. He talked to us in episode number 13 on the AT, but he has since ventured out to the West Coast. And Kevin Conley, welcome to the show, buddy. Thanks for having me, Bird Shooter. Good to, good to talk to you again. Absolutely, man. It's been almost a year since we chatted last time, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't remember exactly when we did the last one, but yeah, just about. And, and wow, I, don't, I almost don't know even where to start, Casey, because you, you've had an amazing couple years between your hike on the AT and the, uh, and the Pacific Crest Trail. I understand you've since moved to Seattle, and you're now a West Coast person, right? I am. I am temporarily in Seattle, but yeah, after I went back to Virginia, I missed the uh, the evergreen trees and the cascades, so I decided to come back out here for a little bit. So that means you've turned your back on your beloved Washington Redskins, <laughs> and you're now rooting for the Seattle Seahawks, is that correct? No, that is incorrect. I am still a Redskins fan. I always will be. I, I have noticed your passion on your Facebook page. <laughs> that would, but, um, it would be a nice team to uh, switch, but I could never do that. Yeah, I hear you. you got to stay true to your school. <laughs> hey, so so tell me, I mean, um, I'm curious. I think I might ask you on the last interview, but is it uh, is the, the post-through-hike adjustment any more difficult this year, or is it similar to last time, or what's the whole, like, post-through-hike experience been like for you? Um, I believe that, I mean, it was tough last time. It, this time, I think it might get tougher every time you do it or, you know, the more you do it. Um, it's hard going from living in the woods for such an extended period of time and you get you get into such a routine, you know, of just walking. Um, and then you go back to normal life and society standards so to speak so it's pretty wild but I had a good debrief time right after the trail I went to Montana and then came back home and one of my friends from the Pacific Crest Trail lives 10 minutes from my house so we went on a couple um, hikes on the AT and I did a lot of hiking to kind of break myself back in but yeah it's 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 always tough. Sort of ease your way back into society by keeping the doing some hikes to, to pacify you in the meantime, right? Right, right, yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, you really start to miss it as soon as you get off. It's amazing the, you know, I already hiked the Appalachian Trail, so I sort of knew, you know, what happens when you get done. Um, but it's amazing all these new friends that I met on the Pacific Crest Trail that hadn't thru-hiked before and hearing their mindset on it, and it, you know, kind of takes me right back to when I got done with the AT, and I was like, gosh, I want to be back, and then you hear how much they miss it, then it makes you miss it more, so it's tough, but but that's life, you just got to prepare for the, the next adventure. Yeah, so I got I to gotta give you some credit here, because I was looking on Wikipedia before um, before I called you up this evening, <laughs> and, right. and I don't know if you checked it out, but the Pacific Crest Trail has four 120,000 feet of elevation change, and that's the equivalent of basically hiking Mount Everest 14 and a half times. Really? So uh, pat yourself on the back there. You you definitely burned a few calories this summer. <laughs> yeah, just a few. Yeah, so so I'm going to just go straight for some of the, uh, hopefully, the interesting questions for the viewers here, or the listeners, I should say. 
Um, you want to tell us like about your most memorable experience on the PCT this summer? The most memorable, uh, there's, there's so many, um, that come to mind. One of my favorite days on the trail was climbing Mount Whitney, but it was also the buildup to Mount Whitney. Uh, Mount, so Mount Whitney's in California and the Sierra Nevadas is the highest peak in the lower 48 states um, at 14,500 feet. And the two days before that, you kind of got to plan your, the Mount Whitney's not on the Pacific Crest Trail. It's a, like a side trail that everyone takes the day off. You, you never really have the chance where you're that close and it's, you're in such good shape um, to do it. And so the two days before that, we did, you know, a 10 mile, a 12 mile day. One day we just hung out in this meadow for a few hours. The next day we camped at Chicken Spring Lake, which is an alpine lake. Um, and then the next day you, you got to set yourself up to do Mount Whitney, which is about, I think it's an eight mile loop or so. And you actually slack pack up it. So we left all our food and sleeping bag and stuff like that at the bottom in a bear canister. And then we slack pack up it and you walk right by Guitar Lake, which is this amazing lake. And you you start at about, I want to say we're about 12,000 feet or so. And you walk by Guitar Lake and you can't really tell the shape of it. You just know the name of it. And as you start climbing Mount Whitney, you get about three-fourths of the way up and you're looking down at Guitar Lake and it's in the shape of a, a perfect guitar, so to speak, which is pretty wild. And then getting up there, um, uh, it's hard to describe how it feels to climb such a magnificent mountain. Um, and there's a glider plane that flew over us and there's marmots running around and you're with your buddies. And that was, that was one of my favorite days was climbing Mount Whitney. But there was so, so much that I've never seen before in the PCT that was all striking to me. The desert was amazing. Um, the high Sierras, Northern California and Oregon, Washington. I mean, it's, the whole trail had so much to offer and there was always something pretty grand coming up, you know, right around the next corner. Yeah. I mean, so Mount Whitney, is it, is it technically on the Pacific Crest Trail or is, is it a spur that you have to do to climb it? Yeah, that's a spur. So it's, um, I was like an eight mile side trail there and back. So basically bonus miles. You, you got eight, eight extra bonus miles plus many more, I'm sure to your credit. Right. And uh, yeah. Yeah, and it's a, you know, it is off the trail, but you know, ninety nine percent of hikers do it. It's one of those opportunities you don't want to miss out on. Yeah, yeah. By then, you're obviously uh, you got your trail legs too. Highest point? It's the highest point in the uh, lower forty eight, right? Correct. Correct. Yep. Yeah, I'm looking at the I'm looking at the elevation right now, fourteen five oh five. So uh, yeah, I'm sure you were breathing heavy climbing up there. Yeah, I was. I was surprised. Um, well, I was surprised by two things. Uh, the first would be we kind of um, acclimated to the elevation because we were riding at about 10,000, 11,000 feet uh, the week prior to climbing Mount Whitney. So we were used to the elevation. Now, I could, you know, see a little difference when we got up to 13, 14,000 feet, obviously, but not as dramatic as I expected. I was surprised about all the amateurs that climb up Mount Whitney. Um, there's a lot of people that don't really understand that they're climbing the highest mountain in the lower 48 states. So you see people, so we come up, I don't know if it's the north side or south side, um, but the side we come up, you know, you couldn't drive a car anywhere near there. On the other side of the mountain, it's probably a 15 mile hike to the top. So it's people break it up into two days. And we were seeing people up there that didn't have water. We're trying to let snow melt in a can from the sun. And we were handing out beef jerky. And it was, it was pretty wild seeing the type of people that go up there. But it was amazing. Amazing you, you mountain. Were, you were giving some of the trail magic back there at 30-pack. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I like it. So, and then I saw your pictures on Facebook, actually, with Guitar Lake. I mean, no question, when you get up on that ridge and look down, it looks clearly like a guitar. I can see where it got its name. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, so and what, that, that kind of like that span of, of days around Mount Whitney, 
um, the couple days prior, and then the day after you climb. So Mount Whitney's at 14,505 feet, like you just said. And then the next day on the Pacific Crest Trail, you go over Forrester Pass, which is the highest point on the Pacific Crest Trail, which is um, like 13,200 feet right around there. So you kind of have the two highest moments on the trail back to back, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, I mean, the views the views from there look spectacular, without a doubt. So, I mean, and, and that, maybe that's a good time to ask this question. I mean, the PCT, I've heard, is actually um, more graded and actually uh, probably an easier trail to hike, but also the logistics are way, way harder than the AT. But how do you compare the two? I mean, having done the two back-to-back year-to-year, um, you, you have any comments you want to throw out there on how they're alike but yet completely different? Yeah, yeah. Um... Oh, I've got that question so many times, bird shooter. Um, I'd say the number one difference is the AT is rugged. The AT goes up and down, up and down, up and down. The PCT is also rugged, but the climbs are more, it's a long, drawn-out climb and then a long downhill. And the Pacific Crest Trail has a lot of moments that are flat, which you don't really hear of on the AT. Um, and the water was different. I mean, the first 700 miles in the desert, we had 20 to 30 mile stretches with no water. Where in the AT, that only happened one time. In Pennsylvania, we had a 20 mile section, I believe it was, where that was common on the PCT in the desert. And there was a few other sections where we had 30 miles here, 25 miles there. So there was water caches. That was a, a big difference. The vastness um, and the elevation of the PCT were a, a huge difference. I've never hiked in California, Oregon, or Washington, and the Appalachian Trail really opened my eyes up to the beauty of nature and, and showed me long-distance hiking and something that I really enjoyed. And when I got out to California, I was amazed by I mean, the whole trail is, you have a view most of the time, on the PCT, whereas on the AT, you have to work for your views. Another name for the AT is the green tunnel. So you're walking in the tree coverage, and then most of the time when you get to the top of the mountain, you get a a great view if it's 180 degrees or 360. So there's a lot of differences, but the, you know, it's still backpacking. So, you know, after doing the AT, it came as second nature getting out there. Um, The logistics weren't as hard as people point uh, or you know paint them out to be you know there's a few places you have to have mail drops sent out to um but that was the same on the the at there's a couple spots here and there also the biggest thing logistically i'd say would be just the water so you just have to be smart in the desert yeah i mean i I noticed that too and when i I talked to jester who had done the continental divide trail a couple podcasts back and i mean that is a game changer just going through the desert on both those trails versus the at which you know, unless you've got a drought year, water's fairly plentiful, you know. But, um, yeah, you know, so th- that said, i got to ask you, because I'm sure that that presents its own challenges, although you and I were talking earlier, and it sounds like you must have found something in the desert you really liked, because you're looking to go back and do some hiking there this uh, this coming year, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, I, a lot of people, a lot of the complaints that you might hear about the PCT are in the desert, um, mainly because people are just mad about the heat, no shade, and no water. So easy things to be mad about, but there's there's a beauty in everything. And I loved the desert. You see some of the prettiest flowers. And I mean, some of these flowers only grow after a wildfire comes through and destroys the whole area. And then you get these beautiful purple and violet flowers. And the you can see at, at night when you're in the desert, the amount of sky that you can see is amazing. So the the stars at night are are, are great. There, I mean, there's a lot to the desert that you just have to find beauty and things that are different. You know, you can't always be on the top of that rocky ridge with the waterfall next to you. You know. Yeah, you had some good pictures uh, that that you know I obviously followed your your trek the whole time. You had some great shots in the desert. I mean, some. I mean, obviously your High Sierra and your Cascades photos were fantastic, but you had some damn good pictures in the desert. Thank you. 
Yeah, and part of your calendar. Actually, this is a good time for you to maybe pitch your uh, your calendar because it's not too late. It's only January second. That's know? right. Yeah, it's not too late. My a good friend of mine that I met on the Pacific Crest Trail. His name's Sweet Tooth, also known as Wolf Jesus for his beard and his hair. He is um, a professional photographer. And after the trail, um, he had the idea of putting together a calendar. We mixed up some of our best pictures and created a Pacific Crest Trail 2014 calendar. And, and Bird Shooter got one for Christmas, and it's plow- proudly displayed in my uh, my gear staging area. So um, Santa was good to Bird Shooter this uh, year. That's great. Somehow he found you. <laughs> yeah, the, the the calendars came out great, and we've got nothing but a, an awesome response. I mean, we have them in stores in Seattle, and they've been, I mean, all through December, they're selling like hotcakes online. So if somebody wants to get one, uh, how can they find one? They can go to, we'll have to put a link on on the podcast thing, but if they, you type in Philip Kramer dot store envy dot com and store envy the e on store rolls into the e and envy i i will get you a uh, link just to, to make it easier um but absolutely but hey so you mentioned um when you were talking about the desert area the fires and that was a question i had for you because i know i know there's been some years that the fires have caused a lot of issues for pct hikers was that the case uh for you this year? Right, right. Um, that was not the case for myself. We lucked out on two fires, one we were just ahead of and one we were a little bit behind. Um, there was a big house, uh, a big house. There was a fire called the Powerhouse Fire in the desert that sent a lot of hikers happen to skip uh, 50, 100 miles you know, as the fire was building up. We were ahead of that one. And there was another one in Etna, California, northern part of California, that had hikers have to skip a 50-mile section to go around it. And then when we got up to there, the fire was tamed. So the closest we got, at one point, we did see a fire creeping over a ridge, and, and we had some of the smoke from a fire not really affect us, but it was in the air, you know. But yeah, we really we really lucked out with fires. I mean, you walk through, we walked through a ton of burn sections on the trail where a fire had been, you know, five years ago, ten years ago, however long it had been. But none of the fires affected us this year. We lucked out on the fires, and we lucked out on the snow in the Sierras. Um, the snow in the Sierras can be um, an obstacle for hikers, and we had really no snow in the Sierras, which baffles a lot of people that have hiked in previous years where there was a lot of snow and you know 30 miles of this section was all snow and they were wet for three days and you know we're doing 20 miles through that section so every year on the PCT is significantly different due to you know what's going on in the desert with fires or how's the snow in the Sierras and you know a lot of different ecosystems that we walk through. Yeah, I did. Um, I did a section of the uh, PCT with a buddy of mine when we were going cross country one year around Lake Tahoe, and we were up. I think it was the. I think it was Velma, Upper Velma Lake, up in that area. Okay. And uh, it was probably late June, early July, and there was a ton of snow. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe how much snow was up there. Really? So, um, but so let me ask you this though, because I read, I was kind of following the news articles this year, and I was following the boards, and it sounds like a lot of the your crew. That was ahead of you by two, three, maybe four weeks. Just got hammered in the Cascades. They were doing rescues, and, and I think a few of the hikers were out there stranded for numerous days. Um, how how were you able to kind of dodge that? Because it sounds like a lot of people got caught by early snowstorms this year. Yeah, yeah, that was um, that was a big curveball coming in there. I I didn't expect that. I I knew we were going to get some rain when we got to Washington Bird Shooter. What was amazing was that up till so at when Oregon and Washington at the border is called Cascade Locks, um, and after you cross the bridge, it's called the Bridge of the Gods, goes into Washington. That's when up to that point on the trail, the Bridge of the Gods, I think we had three days of rain. 
And after we crossed over that bridge, it rained for just about two weeks. You know, sometimes it was just for a little bit during the day. And towards the end of it, we got three or four days of pretty decent rain. And that was equivalent to, you know, snow at the higher elevations. Um, we ducked out. We got hammered with those, the three days of rain going into Suquamish Pass. We got hammered. And we took um, probably about four days off, and we went in to Seattle. Um, a family friend of of mine put us up for a few days in Issaquah, which is a little north of Seattle or east of Seattle. <laughs> I, I know exactly where that is. I worked for a company out of Issaquah for a while, oh, so really? I, I know exactly where you're talking about. Oh, that's that's funny. funny. Yeah, so we, so we laid low there, and we went to REI, and... Um, my hiking partner, Alex, or Outburst is her trail name. Her parents hooked us up with some nice new stuff and, and her family, some micro spikes and rain pants and, and fisherman gloves. And so we got, we just equipped better for the snow. Obviously when you're going into hundred mile sections on the trail, you, you can't not be prepared. So, you know, we had, maps and and different routes we could take if we needed to get out at you know escape plans if we needed to a lot of the hikers that got in trouble were out in the woods you know and they didn't i don't think they really knew what they were getting into so to speak um you know you're out in the woods for three days then all of a sudden a snowstorm comes in and so they were weren't really prepared it kind of hit everyone out of the blue i mean washington got one of the days in the end of September was the most rain they've ever got, you know, before. So there was a lot of just random things that happened that were out of everyone's control. But we just buckled up our boots and got some snowshoes and hit it hard. You know, such is the nature of through hiking, right? Like yeah, that's right. What, what the the weather's perfect, like 10% of the time, you know, you're always dealing with something, right? <laughs> but that, that was one of the big differences though. Like, like bird shooter in the in the desert we had the first you know two or three weeks i don't think i saw a cloud it was just blue skies and hot so i mean the weather was hot but you know on the at you can get rain any day of the week pick one you know um so the weather was a lot different until we got to washington and then sadly you saw some of you know the thru-hiker mentality. You know, we don't give up. We push on. We persevere. And it was pretty wild when the snow hit. There was, you know, some people that were telling hikers, you know, after numerous hikers were rescued by helicopters or whatever, um, they were telling hikers they can't do it and it's not safe. And, and you saw a lot of hikers just kind of give up or, you know, and so some of the spirit was broken, but it wasn't broken with with my crew. But it was a uh, amazing to see some of the the people surrounding the trail telling people that they can't do something. And it was kind of like when they told us that we were like, no, we can't do this. You know, you got to be safe with things, but you always have to give give everything a try. Yeah, the, the world is full of naysayers, as you and I both know. I, I remember some of the shocking responses I got when I told them I was going to through hike back in the early '90s. You know, <laughs> yeah. but uh, yeah, I'm sure, I, I'm, I'm sure you had that too. I can, but I can imagine a big difference back in uh, 1994 compared to you know we have 5,000 people trying to do the Appalachian Trail this year. In '94, how many was it? You know, it's funny you say that because I was at the ATC headquarters this summer and there were three or four books just for the year 2013 and it was only, you know, late summer, right? Yeah. And the year I went through, there was a single notebook of (laughs) photographs of all the people that came through, right? A single notebook. And then the years prior to me, maybe five, six, seven years, they'd put three years in a a notebook. So that tells you the number of people that are on the trail these days compared to... uh, back in, you know, in my era, dating myself here. Um, so, hey, so back to the questions on the snow, though. Um, 
now you were kind of you were behind the storm a little bit, right? So by the time that you got to these areas that were just getting hammered with snow, had the snow melted, or were you still dealing with it when you went through? And this would be what, like? Oh no! Oh, bird shooter, we got the snow. We got the snow. We um, so coming out of White's Pass, um, Crystal Mountain area, we took a couple days off with Alex's family in um, where Crystal Mountain is, and that's right on the PCT. And the day we left them, that next morning was when we first got our first amount of snow. And it only snowed, I mean, not even an inch, you know. And then the next night, it the snow turned back to rain and just kept raining. And then we were going into this big climb where on the top of the hill, you know, 7,000 feet, it was snowing. And we decided to hitch into town. Um, we weren't ready for it at that point. And so we were right on the brink of it, but we were getting more rain because we were at 4,000, 5,000 feet around Mount Adams versus where a lot of the snow was above 5,000 feet. Um, but from Snoqualmie Pass to the border, we had snow. And, and what kind of snow are you talking about? Like, what kind of depths were you hiking through um, when you got to that point? Our, our first time touching it was coming up this one place called Dutch Miller Gap. So the first section when we left Snoqualmie Pass was one of the – when we were at Snoqualmie Pass, Bird Shooter, this was when the whole trail had a – I guess you could call it a, a, a shutdown almost, where – all the hikers, everybody stopped. Everyone stopped. And most of the people were ahead of us. Nobody was hiking out of Snoqualmie's Pass. Nobody was hiking out of Stevens Pass. Nobody was hiking out of Rainy Pass. People were walking on the highways to get, or, you know, roadways to get to the border and not trying the trail. Our first time seeing the snow, we took alternates from Snoqualmie Pass to Stevens Pass. Um, probably an 80, 90 mile section and going up Dutch Miller Gap, I'd say we were post tolling in three to four feet of snow. Wow. That, that, that is no joke. Yeah. Yeah. And then when, after Snoqualmie and we, we got about halfway through, we realized that we were, you know, post tolling through it is a whole different story. So we got off the trail and went into a town called Clay Ellum and we got snowshoes, and we continued on from there. Ironically, from from Clay Ellum to Stevens Pass, we didn't have to use the snowshoes, but it was fun carrying an extra five pounds for, you know, 20 miles or whatever it was. And sure. then from Stevens Pass um, to Rainy Pass, which is about 120 miles, we were using the snowshoes just about every day, Um Every, every day, the, the snow melted a little bit. It started when it was about, you know, about 4,500 feet and up there was snow, and by the end, it was maybe 5,500, you know, probably around 5,500. But it, it was amazing. The north face of the mountain would be covered in snow, and then you'd start coming to the south side of the mountain a few days later, and the south side would be dry. So we lucked out, you know, we're pretty much we're doing one mountain a day because the snow slows you down so much, you know, areas where we would be covering 20 miles a day, we were only able to do 12. Yeah, that's a little different than hiking in the desert, I guess, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little colder, too. Yeah, so so on that topic, I got to ask you, I mean, I know, I just know what it's like to be out there for six months at a time. I mean, um, you had to have some ultimate low points. Did, did the low points hit you in the snow or... Was that actually kind of fun and, you know, the the moments when you were the lowest on the trail? Do you, I mean, do you have a story that you can share there? I'd say my, I mean, none of the trail was really low. I didn't have low points. It was really low. Well, none of the trail really was low either, except for one bridge. But I didn't really have any low points. But if I was to think of one, which really is all I could think of, is when I... When I broke my foot, that was a big bummer. Yeah, I saw your x-ray. So what what, uh, was the whole story there? Um, You looked awful happy in the picture. 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it hurt like hell. Yeah. Um, well, the story was, so last year on the Appalachian Trail, um, I don't know if you remember, but I got I had two stress fractures on my right foot. So going into Chester, which is northern California, about seven, 1,600, 1,700 miles in, my foot was hurting so bad, and I knew that I could feel that it was like the same pain that I felt last year with my stress fracture, except that it felt worse, and I felt it a few days going into Chester, but I didn't really want to make too big of a deal about it, so I was just eating, you know, some Advil and and hiking on, and then I was like, all right, I got to go into Chester, and I need to go to the hospital, and I go in, and I tell them my foot's real, really hurting, and they say for liabilities, we got to put you in a wheelchair. So they wheeled me all around the hospital. It was really fun. The nurses were, were great, and they get my x-rays, and the nurse comes in, and she tells me they want to wrap my foot, and she said the recommendations are, you know, to put a cast on my foot for a hard cast for eight to ten weeks, and I shouldn't walk on it at all. And the doctor wants to talk to me briefly. And so he comes in. Well, she told me that I had a stress fracture that didn't heal from last year on the AT and one that did heal. So I had the same stress fracture from last year. And then I had a hairline fracture. And the doctor comes in and he looks at me and he says, boy, I think you're a fool. And then he turns around and he walks out. That's awesome. So me and the nurses were laughing about that. And that's when that picture got snapped next to the x-ray. How many now? How many days did you miss uh, from the trail during that period of time? Um, so after that, um, after I found out that happened, my friends were leaving town, and I stayed for four days and missed. I skipped up that section, eighty-five miles or so, um, and took four days off and met them at Mount Shasta. Um, oh, yeah. So it took four days for my foot to heal. Yeah, I've actually hiked that section of the PCT also, and I forgot about that. That was the time we had a bear. And I meant to ask you about bears because I know bears, especially in uh, certain sections like I think Yosemite and some others, are, are you know you got to take them pretty seriously out there. We had a bear that literally came right up to us and was completely fearless. Did you have any bear issues when you were hiking this year? I did not. I did not. I saw two bears. Um, but no issues at all. One of them I just saw running alongside, you know, this hillside, just running along, and he just disappeared into some shrubs. Another one was actually a really cool experience. Check this out, bird shooter. So I'm climbing this pretty big hill, and at the top is called Lookout Rock. Um, and just like the name says, it's just a, a, like a rock outcropping. And I'm standing up on that, and I see this golden eagle swooping down through the valley and up and just flying around. And then his buddy comes. And so I'm just sitting there eating lunch, watching these two golden eagles swoop in and out of this valley. And I finish my lunch. I pack up. And about a mile down the trail after that, I catch something big out of the corner of my eye. And there's this huge, I mean, 500-pound black bear but i guess it's because of the sun you know he appears brown in his fur you know cinnamon type color and he's walking over and i step on a branch and he looks over at me and i turn my head and look away from him and then he goes back to what he's doing and i watch this bear for like 20 minutes he goes up to this dead tree that had fallen over and he's growling and he's ripping at it for grubs and you know, little insects and bugs. So it was a real cool experience. And then when we got up into Washington, we saw a lot of bear tracks in the snow. But, I, you know, I only saw those two bears in, in California. You, you know what I noticed, and I, was, I actually wrote this down to ask you about 30-pack, um, was in your photos, you had some amazing pictures of rattlesnakes, especially the one that was, like, consuming a lizard. That was an amazing shot. Did you did you see a lot of snakes on your hike? Um, you know, surprisingly, I, I saw a lot of snakes, but I only saw two rattlesnakes. And that was the the one picture that you just described. 
um, where the rattlesnake was eating the lizard. That was wild, and they were both dead. So it was kind of one of those situations where he bit off a little more than he could chew. And uh, I wish. I wish you wouldn't have told me that because that was like a National Geographic photo because I, assu- I assumed it was alive, right? That, that was an amazing picture. I'm sorry. Um, well, i got to be honest here, Bird Shooter. Hey, I appreciate that. It, it's a great photo anywhere, any way you slice it for sure. Yeah, and then, you know, I just saw a lot of random snakes that I really don't even know the names. You know, on the East Coast, we just call them gardener snakes, but, you know, probably a type of racer snake i assume but yeah i only saw two rattlesnakes um on the trail you know other people saw 20 rattlesnakes it's just kind of the the timing on the whole issue what i my favorite animal that i saw on the trail really was the birds we saw i saw so many big birds flying at you know 10,000 8,000 feet so the birds were uh probably my favorite animal that i got to see a lot of yeah yeah that's cool i mean you know obviously the the animals are very different on the west coast to some degree than the the east coast um you know not totally right you don't have elk wandering all over the place on the east coast that's for sure (laughs) but uh so so do do you want to tell the love story because i mean obviously at some point um 30 pack your 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 journey as a soloist on the PCT changed dramatically and I really enjoyed the video that you sent of your hike I'm I'm assuming that that video is uh that video is it's not public it's just something you did for your friends but or did you end up putting it on YouTube or um no no it's it's yeah it's just something for my family and friends um I did actually try to upload it onto YouTube but as you know there's like some Beatles songs on there and they took the movie and they muted the whole thing, but it's on there. It's just muted. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Well, you know, like at the very end where you do your little tribute um, with the, the stick song lady, uh, which I, I mentioned earlier when we were talking, um, I, I thought that was pretty cool. I really enjoyed it. Well, so appar- apparently Sticks is not uh, is not blocking the, the use of their music um, <laughs> be- because – I've got a few videos that with some sticks tunes in it on the uh, web, and they haven't come after me yet. Oh, really? That's so, funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know what? It's that's the falling in love part was my what made it the best summer of my life. I so her name's Alex. Her trail name was Outburst or Outburst Junior, and the first time I saw her was on my third day i'll never forget it i was walking up this hill and she has just the prettiest red hair and i anyway so i'm walking up this hill and i see this beautiful young lady and i stop and i say hi and then i just kept walking and i seconds later i was like oh i should have sat down and stayed there forever but we got to know each other you know over the next couple weeks and then from about mile at mile 454, we um, we had our own little hiking group. So on the AT, I had you know the we had the Wolf Pack, and on the PCT at a mile 454, which is Agol Dolce, is where we created the Summer Breeze Trendsetters, and that was myself, coincidence, um, another guy, Sweet Tooth who I did the calendars with, Hot Tub, and Outburst. And we hiked the next just about 600 miles together. And then at about 1,000 miles, Alex or Outburst and Hot Tub went to a music festival, and me and Rubadon, girlfriend, went and did our own thing in Yosemite Valley and went back to Mammoth Lakes for July 4th. So we didn't see each other for a couple hundred miles, and then we ended up, you know, we probably hiked 2,000 miles of the trail together, and it was for sure the best moments that I've ever experienced. So, you know, that was one of the questions I had for you because, um, I mean, you know how life was on the AT because you just hiked it last year, and I only spent six nights by myself the entire hike on the AT 
and it seems like most of your PCT hike, you were hiking with a, a group. Is is that true? Did you spend any night alone the whole time you were out there? Um, I probably spent, you know, maybe five five nights that I camped by myself. At the most, at the most, I was usually with someone else. Um, at one point, it was I was with Rubadub, Steamer, and Cookie Monster. And what's funny about that, so listen to this, um, Bird Shooter. My mom tells me that she has a flight attendant friend or, or someone, some friend that has a, a friend that her son is hiking the trail. So I'm like, Mom, there's, you know, a thousand people out here. I'm never going to find this guy. But I end up running into him, and his name's Steamer. He's the one that lives 10 minutes down from my house. And his best friend, Rub-A-Dub, they both hike the AT, is from Alexandria. Rub-A-Dub and I were born in the same hospital, and we all live in Virginia. So we kind of were the Virginia boys, and Cookie Monster rolled around with us too, but he's from Massachusetts. So I had that group, and then another group I had, we called ourselves the Four Horsemen with one of my good friends, Coincidence, and Sneaks, and Lunchbox, and then the Summer Breeze Trendsetter. So a lot of the time, I was with the group, not as much alone. Yeah, I, you know, I want to ask you how Steamer got his trail name, but I'm afraid to, so um, we probably can't discuss that on the mic, can we? It's actually, I, I know where you're going with that, but it's actually... He quit smoking cigarettes, so he has um, like one of those e-cigarettes that blows steam out, like a vapor. Ah. So okay. he got that from going up a mountain, and he was letting steam off like a like a train. Well, I'm glad we clarified that because you had me concerned there for a minute. Yeah, I know exactly what you were thinking there too. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's pretty funny. So. Um, you know, I, one of the other questions I wanted to ask you was just, I mean, I guess everyone on the PCT obviously knows there's a movie being filmed about the PCT as we speak, right? Right, right, I, mean, yeah. I think it's uh, I think it's due for release in, I don't know, the springtime. I'm not sure. It's got Reese Witherspoon in it. It's based on Cheryl Strayed's uh, book, um, Wild, which, you know, maybe some of the listeners have heard. First, I guess the first question for you is, did you read the uh, book at all? I have not read the book. I read maybe the first 10 pages of it. Not saying that I won't finish it, but I read the first 10 pages before I left. I couldn't really get into it, but that book has, I mean, it's done great, and it helped us out a ton on the trail, Bird Shooter, because there was a ton of people that we got hitches from that probably would not have picked this up, but literally they would stop on the side of the road and say, I would never do this before, but I read that book wild, and I want to help you guys. So, I mean, it's had an influence on people surrounding the trail, which was super positive for us. Um, you know, it's obviously going to bring a lot more people out on the trail, which is fine. I think it's great for people to come out and see nature, you know, as long as they respect it. Leave no trace. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. So, um, you know, obviously, just for the listeners, and many may already know, it it, it got its uh, legs basically from Oprah, Oprah's book club. And the uh, the woman hiked the trail the year after I did the AT. I mean, it's a long time ago. It was in 95, and I saw some of the footage, and I think it was pretty true to the equipment that was used then, right? I mean, I think they gave her an old frame pack and, like, you know, an oversized sleeping bag and a lot of the crazy crap we carried back then. Yeah, yeah, I think they are but, trying to keep it pretty... Uh pretty realistic but yeah you know she didn't hike the whole trail but she did most of it yeah i know and i mean i guess it's sort of the bill bryson effect right you know uh yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know i sort of the bill bryson of the at and i you know you f feel free to comment on that i i think that could go either way i mean if nothing else at least it gets a lot of uh support for the trail and hopefully donations and interest in keeping the trails going right yeah, yeah, you know, I think I think it's I think it's great. She has she has a good story to tell and it's pretty wild when I mean you've you've been on tons of these trails and it's wild when they get that's funny cuz the movie and book is called Wild, but it's wild when they get that exposure where it's kind of I don't know, I look at these trails as sort of 
my treasure, and obviously it's not my treasure, but in a weird way, you don't want a big movie to be about it, you know? You want to keep it special. But I, I think it's great. I think it's good for people to know, you know, everything that's out there. I don't think too many people are going to change their heart and all of a sudden say, I want to go hike the PCT now. Um, but I do think it will increase the, the footprint on the trail, you know, for sure. Hey, if nothing else, it'll be a hell of a lot easier to get hitches, right? <laughs> yes, yes. It has a good effect <laughs> doing that. Hey, but I do want to ask you because um, I had kind of thought about this for a while, and the, the question I had was, does the book divert people away from the AT? Because obviously the Appalachian Trail is sort of the go-to trail for for kind of your, your first through-hike, right? And it probably should be. It's probably the most, frankly, user-friendly because of all the services along it. Um, or does it not divert necessarily from the AT, but just um, – increase both the number of hikers on the AT and the PCT, right? Like, what what are your thoughts on that? I think um, that's a good question. You know, I don't really know, but I think when you have a, when you get in your mind, I'm going to go do the Appalachian Trail, I'm going to go do the Pacific Crest Trail, that's what you go out and do. I don't think there's much persuading there. When, you know, I was ready to do the AT, I didn't even know what the PCT was, but I knew that that's what I wanted to do, and there was nothing that was going to change my mind about that. Um, So, yeah, I don't don't think so. You you don't see a lot of people shifting from the AT to the PCT just because of the movie, huh? No, no. I think after people hike one or the other, they'll do the other, you know? So on that topic, the Triple Crown, you you and I were talking about this before the podcast started, but... uh, you know, I know, I know. I mean, can you do two trails and not do the third? Uh, I don't, I don't, I, I won't, I won't. <laughs> Jester made this comment to me, actually, or I never even would have thought about it. But a couple podcasts ago, Jester said, you know, if you do one trail, you're fine. But if you do two trails, you're screwed because you're going to have to do all three. Yeah, um, I think that's a. Uh... Well, the thing is that you you think about it like that, but you these are treasures, you know. I don't want to hike just to say I triple crowned. But, of course, yes, I'm going to do the Continental Divide Trail. I'll probably do all three of them two or three times if I can have my way. So, yeah, after you – I don't – after you do one, you're screwed, though. You, you all you do is dream <laughs> – so you so you're agreed with that. Once you do one, you're you're on a roll. Yep, yep. You can't you can't take the fire out after that. It's the best thing you can ever do with your life. <laughs> I would agree. I totally agree. That's why we're talking right now. <laughs> hey, so we, it, part of the PCT discussion about the uh, the Cheryl Strayed movie that we were talking about the you know hitching and how it actually may help hitchhiking. What do you have a good best hitchhiking story from your uh, travels this year? Um. You know, oh boy, not as exciting as as you may think. I mean, oh man, I had some really good hitches, you know, like tour guide hitches where someone just tells you all about everything around, which is great. I had one hitch where the guy was driving really fast and scared me, and then he went on to tell us he was going to pick up cocaine for his sister and... Um, I mean, there was some, we had a few hitches where, you know, someone picked us up and gave us a ride into town and gave us their number and gave us a ride out of town the next day. Um, you know, every hitch is, is always special because you're getting someone to go out of their way to, to help you. I remember one time we had a, me and Hot Tub were holding a sign on a piece of Tyvek that says, we'll give hugs for a ride. And this guy in a, I think it was a Camaro, actually did a U-turn to pick, um, there was five of us, but he gave three of us a ride into town. So it's really, I mean, every hitch is, is special in its own way. You meet a lot of interesting people. So the big question is, did you give the guy a hug? You know what? When we got into town, the guy didn't want a hug. <laughs> a handshake, though. <laughs> yeah. Somehow I had a feeling that was a change. <laughs> 
So, hey, another question for you. You know, now in this day, day and age of iPods, do you hike with uh, do you hike with music at all? Like, how do you pass your time? Because I mean, you're doing all these miles. There were days where you you were probably hiking thirty miles at a time, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, totally, totally. I I listen to music. I'd say you know one third of the time. I think would be um, a good measurement of that. Um, you know, I would never say I got bored, but it's just nice, you know, just kind of jamming out and listening to some good tunes, some Motown, some Beatles and some Dave Matthews, you know, some upbeat stuff just to get the miles cruising by. And, you know, the other part of the time, me and Alex played a, a lot of games, outbursts. We played, you know, Jeopardy and Riddles and 20 Questions and so sometimes, you know, we're just talking and walking, and sometimes you just really enjoy the silence and listening to the birds chirp, and, and, and you know, there's just something about all, you know, if you listen to music or you're not, all, all of it kind of works out. I don't know where I was going there. Yeah, I mean, but, uh, you know, I, get, I think it gets to the point, right? You're knocking out a ton of miles each day. I mean, um, do, do you ever get to the point where you – I don't know, you, you have trouble keeping your mind active, right? Um, what do you mean keep my mind active? I don't know, you just get bored. I guess that's really the question, right? I, I mean, well, maybe the better question is what, what sort of mileage did you do on average per day? And Well, well um, to that first one, I, from the border of Mexico to the border of Canada, I did not get bored one time. From sitting in the waiting room at the hospital to walking 30 miles on the Hat Creek Rim with no water. I never got bored. Um, I I love it. I love every piece of it um, so much. You know, I don't have a favorite state. I love them all. Um, what was the second part of that question? Well, just, you know, your, if you had an average mileage per day, I mean, do you, you think you were in the 20s? Do you think you were in the upper teens? Do you think you were closer to 30? What do you think your average... Uh, mileage right. put out i'd say you know average for the whole trail would probably come right around 20 miles it was you know everything changes a lot so for the first 700 miles water was spread out 15 to 25 to 30 miles so on average in the desert we're doing 20 to 25 mile days then at about mile 700 to probably 11 or a thousand ish we we slowed down to closer to a 15 mile an hour day rate in the Sierras. And that's also because the, there's nothing that gets you ready for the Sierras. The Sierras, not that they're difficult, they're amazing. You want to stop and camp every two miles. Um, so we slowed down our pace there. Then in Northern California, we were cranking out 25s like it was our job all the time. And then we didn't really slow down from you know the 20 to 25 mile hour. Um, a day until we hit the snow in Washington, and then you know we dropped down to ten to fifteen miles a day. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know when we talked um, about a year ago, before you're getting ready to do the hike, you mentioned a couple places that you thought would be you know really really cool. You were really looking forward to, right? Yes. And, I, and I'm just looking through my notes here to see those two places. One of them was Mount Whitney, which we talked about earlier. It obviously delivered. But what about Bernie Falls? Bernie Falls, I mean, both of them delivered. It was funny when I um, when I looked at that question because it took me right back to when I was telling you about it. And neither of them were what I expected. They were more – I try not to expect things, you know, just kind of go into it with an open mind. Mount Whitney – amazing bernie falls amazing the only bummer to bernie falls is that there's a road and a parking lot and a nice pathway down to it so it's not in the wild as much as mount whitney was but bernie falls is like a thousand waterfalls in one it's just so much water dribbling from the side of this hill um and mount whitney was real special my my grandma passed away at the beginning of this year, and I wrote her a nice note and walked out on this one little spot and buried it into the side of the mountain for her. So that was a real special moment for me, kind of like a, a goodbye. And, yeah, I mean, both those were, were phenomenal. And both, yeah. I'm sorry. Go, go. Go ahead. 
Oh, nothing, nothing. Go ahead. So I was going to ask you, is, is Bernie Falls the falls that you walk behind? The one that the, I see the picture of the hikers that are kind of coming along the trail and walking behind it? Yeah, yeah, the trail goes right behind it. Um, and then you go over this one little bridge, and there's a like a, a state park-type store there where you can get hot dogs and ice cream. So that's how you get to the front side of it. But, yeah, the trail actually goes behind it. Yeah, winner. You can, that, that's always a winner right there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, um, so, you know, just a couple final questions for you. I think we've hit most of the things I wanted to, to uh, ask you. But, um, I mean, any advice, right, like to hike in the PCT versus the AT? Obviously different. Um, just, you know, thoughts for for somebody that's looking to hike the PCT, not just on hiking it, but actually enjoying it and um you know, the people that don't make it, what they do wrong and why they fail. I think that would probably be be interesting to uh, somebody that might be planning a through hike. Okay. I think the best advice is that the world is what we make it. So in every situation, every adventure, everything that we undergo, if it's a job or school or it's a long distance hike you have to go into it with a positive energy a positive mindset telling yourself i can do this i can do this you know the little the little train and i think how one of the reasons people fail is that they overthink the you know when you think about a long distance hike you can't think about 2700 miles when you're at the mexican border you can't think about the monument in Canada at the Canadian border. You can't think about that. You break it down. I got to get to this town in 50 miles. I got to get to this town. And you break it down by days. Make it easier for yourself because you're out there living for the moment. You're not living, you know, you know, the best saying is, you know, the, the des or the journey is the destination. And I think that's one of the reasons people fail is they, Think about it being so grand, which it is, but you have to break it down and make it simpler for yourself. And just, you know, don't have too many expectations about the way you think things are going to be. I thought the desert was going to be flat. It's not flat. Um, I thought water was going to be a bigger issue. It it wasn't. There's water caches that are well stocked and it's amazing when you tell yourself that you can do something, you can do it, and then you go out and you do it. It's when you have second thoughts on things and you, you question your own judgment. And you have to, of course, be safe with anything you do, but you also have to say, I can do this and I can do anything. I'm I'm a powerful person, you know, mind over matter. Yeah, I mean, the, the folks that you hiked with, and I don't know what the success rate on the PCT is, but, you know, I've heard it's higher than on the AT because a lot of the people that do the Pacific Crest Trail or the Continental Divide Trail have probably done something else. They have experience, so they know what they're getting into. You know, obviously, there's more data out there today um, that, that makes planning it easier. But the, the folks that don't make it, why do you think they don't make it? Um, I think... On the PCT, I, I noticed that it was more someone got injured, uh, you know, a stress fracture, or, you know, something wrong with their feet or their knees. Um, I, you know, I didn't see a lot of people give up on the PCT until the end with the snow. So, you know, coming from the AT, you have so many people that do it. I don't want to call it amateur hour, but you have a lot of people that are unexperienced, which when I was starting the AT, you know, I was experienced in backpacking, but I knew nothing about long distance backpacking. Um, on the PCT, a lot of the people had a lot more experience. So, you know, I don't know the, I guess the main thing that reason why people stopped was because they got injured. And the other half of that is, is people that, you know, in a way, it's a big mental thing, you know. It can be hard to to handle when you overthink the whole distance of of the adventure you're on. Yeah, do you have any idea what the success rate is? I think what do they say? The AT is like 
25% now. Do you have any idea what it is on the PCT? It's got to be, uh, I'm, I want to say maybe 50, 60, 60% maybe. Wow, that's impressive. Were there any yeah. folks that you knew on the PCT this year that did the AT, you know, in the last few years or that you met somewhere else? Yeah, I met, you know, I met eight. It's amazing. Out on the PCT, you meet, oh, I probably met, I probably literally met a hundred Appalachian Trail veterans. I met a few from last year. Old Smoke came out and hiked. I saw him only actually the first day, but I met Seminole out there who hiked in 2012 and Pants on Fire in 2012. And I saw Flapjack from 2012 at kickoff. And there's just a ton of AT veterans that come out west doing the PCT. And and it's really cool. A lot of the people, or, you know, maybe half the people hiking the PCT, I'd say, had long-distance hiked before. Yeah, well, that's cool. I mean, I guess that makes sense, right? But um, And so you're charity that you were raising money for, I think I saw on your website that you uh, raised like $9,500. I mean, that's amazing, man. That's a huge chunk of cash. Yeah. Do you have any uh, any final comments on that? That was, I mean, this year has been so inspiring to myself as well. Um, and that was, it feels very good. I set a goal. when I, When I got done with the Appalachian Trail bird shooter, I made a um, I guess somewhat of a bucket list of things I wanted to do. And one of them I put on, on there was to hike the PCT. Another one was to raise $10,000 for a children's charity. And I set that up in January or February. And by the end of my hike, I came home. And a couple, a few weeks after I got home, we broke the $10,000 marker. I think we ended up raising about $10,000 or $10,100, and that feels phenomenal. It's a, a great feeling, and my mom threw me a good coming home party and had all the the donors there. It, it was a good good time. It's a great feeling. It's for a great cause, too. I'm really happy of, of what came together. Yeah, that's an impressive amount of money. So, uh, you know, congratulations on that. That's that's uh, that's a lot. Thank that's you. pretty amazing. Thank you. Well, hey, um I enjoyed catching up with you again. Um, I, I gotta believe, I gotta believe the CDTs in your future, the Continental Divide Trail. It is. You have any? You have any predictions? 2015. 2015. 2015. Yeah, it's one 100%. Unless something astronomical happens, I said that word wrong. And I always do that. But if something astronomical happens, then you know I'll be out there. I. I'm still contemplating doing it this year, but it's for sure 2015. Well, awesome, awesome. That that'll be a uh, an amazing collection of memories for you, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. Um, I mean, like you were saying, after you get that blood boiling, it's it's hard to stop. I mean, the happiest moments of my life are when I have five days of food in my backpack and I'm walking away from a road into the wilderness and. You know, I'm just so glad that I found long-distance hiking. It's, I mean, the Appalachian Trail saved my life, and the Pacific Crest Trail, I had that experience going into it. I knew what I was doing. I was prepared where I could just totally be free and, and let loose. And I found, you know, love out there, too, with an amazing, gorgeous girl and raised money for kids. And, I mean, both trails have changed my life, and, such a great way and I've never been happier and where my mind's at now is in such a great place. I just I just want love and happiness, bird shooter. I'm gonna fight for those things. I will uh close the podcast by refreshing your memory on a quote from episode thirteen on the Appalachian Trail that you did. And you said quote unquote it's addictive, brother. And <laughs> and I said I couldn't agree with you more. So, hey, man, thanks for being on the show once again, and uh, I look forward to doing this one more time when you finish the CDT, because I know you will. (laughs) That sounds great. Thanks, Bird Shooter. Happy trails, brother. All right, my man. Take care, and I'll talk to you soon. All right, you too. Take care. See ya. Thanks for listening to the N2 Backpacking Podcast. This is Bird Shooter, wishing you the best for your travels on the trail. To subscribe to this podcast, visit Apple's iTunes store or download them directly at n2backpacking.com. 
from the podcast tab on the secondary menu. Music from this podcast was provided by the John Zed Band. For more information on this Atlanta-based musician, visit his website at johnzed.com. That's johnzedd.com. Or search for his latest release through iTunes. This podcast is a production of N2 Backpacking and is copyrighted by N2 Ventures, Inc. For more information or to provide feedback or comments on this or future shows, please visit us at N2 Backpacking. That's the letter N, the number two, backpacking.com.